Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. Ashen Poodle or Cinderella, a folk tale in this version by, uh, translated by Lucy Crane from the Brothers Grimm collection. I hadn't read this version before. Uh, why did you prefer this version, Eric? I, wow. Um, I prefer this version for a number of reasons. Uh, for one, the Cinderella is one of uh, a number of culturally very, very significant uh, fairy tales um, or folk tales. Depends on which language you're using the term from. We tend to call them fairy tales in English, but but that's not what they're always called. Um, that have been really important. Uh, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, um, Hansel and Gretel. Now, these stories clearly have long, long cultural implications. In fact, anthropologists have been able to demonstrate that they go way, way back. Rapunzel, for example, begins as a, veget a vegetation myth long before there's even Christianity. I mean, so we're going back thousands of years with some of these stories. And they, they modify as you go through time, depending upon the culture that's telling them. This is presumably the case because these are archetypically oral stories. So they just get passed from one person to the next, and they tell the story the way it sort of works in their own recollection. Um, so any part of the story that manages to get through this sieve of historical transmission, that's really a powerful skeletal story. And Cinderella is one of those. I mean, we even talk about like a movie like Pretty Woman. We say, oh, it's a Cinderella story. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's become really, really important. Now, I think one of the reasons that these days we tend to call this a Cinderella story is that the story, the basic skeletal story, has been most widely spread through our culture by the Disney version. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And people know that, you know, Cinderella is a Disney movie made from one of Grimm's fairy tales, uh, meaning the tales transcribed presumably by the Brothers Grimm. But as I'm sure you realize when you read it, this isn't the Disney story. No. In fact, Disney's story is taken from uh, the 1697 collection of Charles Perrault, a French, uh, a French man of letters who collected these and rewrote them. I mean, quite clearly intended to rewrite them because he wanted to make them better. He wanted to make them literature. He rewrote them so that they would serve the court. Uh, you know, the court ladies would be delighted by his stories, and each of them had a specific moral. So these were supposed to be lovely stories that would delight and would, would help in the raising of children. Uh, that's not what Grimm's Tales really is about. Right. Uh, and so I wanted, uh, since the, the real story is this one, that is, this is the one that's closer to having gone through the sieve of history uh, orally. I wanted us to be able to read this so that we already could assume a comparison with the better known story. 
mm-hmm. for example, there is no glass slipper in this story. Um, and I could talk more about that, but I'm wondering uh, what you thought about the story. I mean, the story, just just to make sure, the story has the same fundamental skeleton. A man dies. Um, the his his the wife he first had promises to. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. In the in the pro version, the wife just dies, and along comes a stepmother. In the grim version, the wife on her deathbed says to her daughter, um, "Be good and pious, and I will be with you always, looking down at you from heaven," <clears throat> which is the uh, the justification of the fairy godmother that we all know about from Disney. There's no fairy godmother here. In fact, instead, there are birds that do all kinds of things, um, and then. On comes the the new wife, and she has two daughters uh, who are quite beautiful in the this version. Uh, they are not ugly stepsisters. They are beautiful outside, but in their hearts, they are they are ugly. And all three of them, the the new mother, that is the stepmother, and the stepsisters, immediately say, well, we're going to have to get rid of you. Um, you do all the heavy work. You've got to go to the kitchen. You move to a lower class architecturally, economically, all of this class stuff is built into the grim version quite clearly. And she's mm-hmm. called Aschenputtel because the word ashes is in there. She has to sleep. She's not given a bed anymore. They take away her clothing, uh, her good clothing, make her wear a, a cheap gray smock. And she has to, when she sleeps, the only way she can get warmth is to lie on the hearth. And so she's always dusty with these ashes. Um, now, this really also works in the other languages. The, the Spanish version is cenizera, uh, and cenizas are um, ashes. It's cendrillon in French. Uh, cendre is cinder or ash in French. Um, so Aschenputtel is, is the grim version, and that's what she's called, Aschenputtel. Um, and the prince wants to have a bride. A festival is announced. Uh, everybody wants to go to see if they can get to marry the prince. Uh, we don't know that he's good, bad, or ugly, or m- miserable. We, we know he's the prince, so it's all about economics. Mm-hmm. Um, but the stepmother says, you can't go. And she said, at, at, after enough pleading by Aschenputtel, the, the stepmother sets her a task. She says, I'm going to strew a bowl full of lentils in the ashes, and if you can get them out, in two hours, then I'll get you uh, a dress and clean you up and so on. Uh, but in fact, uh, no one could do that. So Aschenputtel prays at the grave of her mother, which she has tended so well. Um, and birds come and the birds pick out the lentils and put them back in the bowl for her. Uh, and this happens a second time. Um there is no third time, which shows us that there's been scribal intervention because things happen in ones or threes in oral tales in Western culture. Uh, but anyway, she gets a second shot because the stepmother doesn't hold, uh, fulfill her word. And after the stepmother and the stepdaughters go away, uh, Ashenputtel 
asks again at the grave site, you know, can you help me out? And she gets helped out and she goes to the, uh, the ball and the ball she goes to three times. The first time she runs away um, into a pigeon house. The second time she runs away up a tree and the third time she runs away. But by then the prince has known that this woman with whom he is utterly smitten is going to maybe run away. So he has tar put on the steps of the palace and her left shoe gets stuck in there. It is a gold shoe. It is not a glass slipper. Um, and if you're interested, I'll tell you a little bit more about where the glass slipper comes from, because that's an interesting story. Um, but anyway, it's a gold shoe. And he says, I've got to find this woman. So they go around looking for someone who fits the gold shoe. The stepmother uh, tells one daughter, you know, your foot will fit in it if you just cut off your toe. Right. <laughs> and the guy takes her. And then more birds call out, nope. It's a false bride. Look at the blood. So he finally looks at the blood. He's not a very swift prince. No. So she, he takes her back. The second daughter, she can't get her heel in. The mother says, cut off your heel. She cuts off her heel because, after all, once you're the princess, you'll never have to go on foot. Uh, back to economics. Again, um, it doesn't work. The prince asks, have you no other daughter? And the father that SOB says, no, I don't have another daughter, except there's this little Aschenputtel my dead wife left me. Right. Uh, and out, anyway, Aschenputtel quickly cleans up. She takes a shower, comes down, sits down, while the two false sisters, as they're sometimes called, had gone away to mutilate themselves in order to fit into the shoe and then come back. Aschenputtel sits down right in front of the prince takes off her wooden shoe and puts on her gold shoe and it fits perfectly. And so the marriage is, uh, is set on the way to the wedding. Uh, the ugly step, the, excuse me, the stepsisters, um, wanting to curry favor, they go there and birds see them and pick out one eye of each of them. Um, on the way back from the wedding, birds see them and peck out the other eye from each of them. And the way the story ends is not with, and they lived happily ever after. It's not in effect a story about Cinderella. It's a story about goodness and obedience in women, allowing them to get higher economic class. So it starts with a rich man. That's the very first line. There was a rich man, right? who doesn't care about his daughter because his wife is now gone, right? His sexual attraction to her is over. And at the end, we leave Aschenputtel, who presumably has married the prince in between paragraphs, and we focus, by contrast to her goodness and piety, on the two stepsisters who are condemned to go through the rest of life blind. And that's the end of the story. This is a very different story, I think. Uh, shaped in very different ways than the Disney version. And that's why I wanted to, to make it available um, to start thinking about what we do with fairy tales, how different the story can be and still be the same basic story. Uh, I was reading this with my students last night. I gave it to them without telling them what it was. And I said, tell me when you recognize this story. And we started reading and we got down to the line where it says the new wife brought two daughters home with and then they said Cinderella <laughs> they knew it <laughs> right right it's a universal story 
Everybody knows this story, even though I didn't know this particular one with the toes being cut off exactly in the ankle um, and the lack of the fairy godmother. Um, there's a lot recognizable within it. And there's also a lot of that sort of mysterious blindness that fairy tale characters have. Like, the prince doesn't recognize Ashen Poodle, except when she's wearing the shield. He doesn't, he doesn't recognize that these other sisters aren't the woman he's looking for. It's almost like it's not the external beauty that he was going for. It was the grace that he had with her when she was dancing. I, I think that's right. Um, I think, in fact, uh, there is a fundamental erotic attraction between Cinderella and the prince. That is, men are attracted to females visually and sexually. And, in fact, once his wife is dead, Cinderella's, Ashenputtel's father, no longer sees her as anything but little and stunted um, because after all, she's his daughter. In this story, the way the Grimm brothers tell it, after Ashenputtel first runs away, it says that the prince, the father came, right? The father came and the prince said, who was that? And the father, it says, thought, well, it certainly can't be Aschenputtel. Mm -hmm. Now, when you first read that line, you think, wait a minute, what is Aschenputtel's father doing at the uh, at the the ball? And why is the prince conferring with Aschenputtel's father? But after it happens a second time and a third time, we realize the father here isn't Aschenputtel's father. It's the king. Ah. So. It is as if the story treats all fathers as different aspects of one or father, right? That, that fathers know that there is such a thing as Aschenputtel. And just as Aschenputtel's biological father has rejected her in favor of the desires of the woman with whom he is now sexually involved, right? The sec, you know, the new wife, the stepmother. So the king also understands that, you know, a woman who is uh, who is little and dirty uh, can't be. Uh, it can't be a little ash woman that you're interested in. The blindness of women is not on the basis of sex. The blindness of women is on the basis of economics. Ashenputtel says, help me. You know, she prays at her mother's grave. Give me silver and gold. <laughs> and down comes a silver and gold dress. And um, as soon as she shows up at the ball, she goes unrecognized because no one can see her face. All they can see is the elegance of the money. In fact, when she runs away the first time, we're told the prince wants to follow her because he wants to see the house from which this maiden came. Mm -hmm. And house, of course, is a metonym for the family. You know, from which noble, wealthy house does she come? 
everyone is blinded either by sex or by money. And, you know, you, you were talking about, well, it's a fairy tale. So people get these unaccountable blindnesses. Um, mm. Indeed. Absolutely. Indeed. They, they, they see things in or don't see them in very strange ways. And Ashenputtel is not immune from that. Ashenputtel in this story, so in the Disney version, the fairy godmother just appears. In this story, we know the origin of divine help. It is the mother saying, I will, if you're good and pious, I'll be looking down on you and will help you from heaven. And we get birds going back and forth. Every time Ashenputtel visits the grave, which is three times daily, a bird goes up. This is like the Holy Ghost. I mean, if you look at medieval paintings, there's the father, the son, and a dove that mediates between them, the Holy Spirit going forth. So Ashenputtel has a line on, on getting whatever she wants, and she knows it. It says that. She gets whatever she asks for. How come she doesn't ask for gold and silver years earlier to just get out of there? Yeah, you know, there's – this is – And the reason I think is that this is a radically patriarchal story. Although it's a story about female piety, what it tells us is what matters is economic position and social class, and women get it by being good, obedient, and married, because it's the men who actually control the money and the world. There's this this curious scene that happens uh, on the second page, and it struck me, and I, I, I said, I have to understand this, because it's very interesting. So it says, it happened one day that the father went to the fair and he asked his two stepdaughters what he should bring back for them. Fine clothes, said one. Pearls and jewels, said the other. What, what will you have, Ash and Poodle, said he. I like that this is, well, I don't like it. I just, I note that the father is now calling her by this sort of derogatory name that the family has given her. She's lost her original name. She is now, to all of them, including her father, Ash and Poodle. And instead of asking for fine clothes, jewels, or anything of val- high of value, she says instead she, that she wants, quote, the first twig, father, that strikes against your hat on the way home. That is what I should like you to bring me. And I was, I was, why did she ask for that? Such a strange thing. It's almost like she wants nothing from her father, but can't say that because that would be rude. And yet when the twig is to strike him, it has to be the one that strikes his hat, his head, right? Yep. Um, Making him think maybe or something. But why Hazel, right? So he returns, gives the the pearls and jewels and clothes to the stepdaughters and to ashen puddle he gave the hazel twig she thanked him and went to her mother's grave and planted the twig there weeping so bitterly that the tears fell upon it and watered it why is she crying is it because her father only gave her a twig or is it because she's happy or is it because she's thinking of her mother being dead or her bad situation doesn't say so bitterly that her tears fell upon it and watered it and it flourished and became a fine tree. So why Hazel? That's what I was asking. 
to myself. And I looked up Hazel uh, on Wikipedia. It's got a mythology and folklore for practically every kind of tree and all of that. Um, apparently, the Celts thought it gave wisdom and inspiration. That's interesting. But in another Grimm's fairy tale called The Hazel Branch, it says that the hazel branch offers the greatest protection from snakes and other things that creep on the earth. It was almost like this is a protection wand, literally a wand, uh, against the family. <laughs> um, later on, when the tree grows and the birds come from it, the birds representing her mother's grace or the in intervention of heaven, I was, I was thinking, oh, that's very interesting. And it reminds me of another story that we've done for Reading Short and Deep called The Tree by H.P. Lovecraft. If you recall this story, one of the artists asks only that some olive twigs are planted at his head of his grave. And from those twigs grows an olive tree. And I didn't realize it at the time. But thinking about why olive versus why hazel, olives are planted on people's heads to symbolize victory, olive uh, boughs. Here, it's not victory, but protection. It's, it's, it's very interesting. I, I hesitate to say this explains everything, but it certainly allows us to fill in the gaps between those strange blindnesses that characters have in thinking about why does the father act that way? We think he shouldn't be acting that, that way. And when this sticks strikes his hat, it should make him think. It should twig him to something, if you know what I mean. It twigs us and it twigged me. An important question is, how did Ashenputtel know to ask for the first twig that strikes against your hat? And it may well be that, in a sense, she was just thinking, you know, I need to slap you upside the head. <laughs> you need to look freshly at what's going on in your own household. Um, but it also may be, since Ashenputtel has been attending her mother's grave, all along, that she is divinely inspired to ask for something that will grow into a fine tree. Mm -hmm. um, I, I agree with what you're suggesting about the hazel. Um, hazel is also a symbol of life for the Teutons, <clears throat> that is to say, the, the Germans. Um, so, um, where the Grimm's got this story, um, it, it's clear there's scribal intervention. It's, it's not an oral tale. Um, and I could talk more about how we know that, but but it's closer to the Teutonic version than, than Disney is by far. Um, and so uh, whether the Hazel is uh, already foreordained or not, we can't tell. Uh, because after all, she had a reason to ask for it. This, the way the Grimm brothers worked is that, in theory, Jacob went out and collected versions of stories, and Wilhelm 
uh, massage them because there were so many similarities in so many of the stories to to make an a, a correct version of any one of the stories. And the same is true in the production of Aschenputtel. Um, in the course of writing these stories as literary works, Wilhelm clearly does things that make Christian what had been stories like Rapunzel that we know are pre-Christian. That is, they begin long before the Grimm brothers get their hands on them. There's another tree that I think of, uh, which is sort of difficult to trace through historical time. That is, the cross of Jesus must have been known in God's mind before the birth of Jesus, since God is eternal, and if his only begotten son is also eternal, he is both in history as Jesus and outside of history, coexistent at all times. And those birds that mediate between the two worlds of history and uh, and theology, uh, myth, um, are shuttling back and forth in this story. I think that the hazel twig, in addition to the things that you've mentioned, in addition to the Teutonic notion of it having to do with life, has to do here with the eternal life that gets promised not by a fairy godmother, but by God. I will look down on you from heaven. And Aschenputtel knows that what she needs to do is worship at this tree. And as I'm sure you know, uh, people, particularly in the Middle Ages, often referred to the, the cross as a tree. Uh, the Dream of the Rood, for example, being a famous uh, such work. Um, so there is something timeless here, but it's a Christian timeless uh, as well as a a mythological timeless. Uh, the Grimm brothers want, want Aschenputtel not simply to be good. They want her to be middle class Christian German good. There's something, there's something interesting about the way the father or the fathers react to the missing girl every time she runs away from the ball. The prince chases her, and then the father comes. So here's a line. Then the prince waited until the father came and told him that the strange maiden had jumped into the pigeon house. The father thought to himself, it cannot be, surely not be Ashen Poodle, and called for axes and hatches, hatchets, and had the pigeon huts cut down. But there was no one in it. Little later on. So he waited until the father came, and then he told him that the strange maiden had rushed for him, and that he thought she had gone up into the pear tree. The father thought to himself, it surely cannot be Ashen Poodle and called for an axe, and felled the tree. <laughs> this re repeating of the the chopping, right? The chopping down the... It's like he's he's chopping mad, right? He's Every solution to him needs an axe. And that sort of begs the question about the tree. 
above the mother's grave. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think this is a, a, the moment at which to, to point out that because she is good and pious, she is the one through her bitter tears that causes this little twig, this, this, the smallest possibility of growth to grow. And the tree is, is, becomes fine, as we're told. As you point out, the men take axes, the father, who is, I think, a combined father. The father takes, has axes brought and destroys the pigeon house, which presumably is wood or it wouldn't yield to axes, and the tree. So men are tearing trees down. Women, uh, at least Ashenputtel, is making trees go up. Disney tells us that uh, she has, Ashenputtel, Cinderella, has a glass slipper. In Charles Perrault's version of the story, um, Cinderella, Cendrillon, has pantoufles de verre, V-A-I-R, slippers of verre, V-A-I-R. Verre is squirrel fur, <laughs> right? It's squirrel it fur. a squirrel here, yeah. Right? Um, squirrel fur. Now, verre, V-E-R-R-E, which is homophonous with verre, V-A-I-R, verre, V-E-R-R-E, means glass. Mm. So <clears throat> the English translation of Charles Perrault's 1697 version, Cendrillon, gives glass slippers, which are ridiculous. I mean, they would break there. Right? Yeah. Gives glass slippers, and Disney picks that up. Glass slippers have nothing to do with this story. But if you look at the tailpiece, the last illustration that Walter Crane creates for this story, there is a beautiful, elegant, sexual Cinderella, Ashland Puddle, slipping her foot into the gold shoe while the wooden shoe lies open on the ground next to her. This story is the use of this wood that you have focused on. This twig grows into a tree, but from the very beginning, she's made to wear wooden shoes and her triumph is being able to trade the wood for the gold. She moves forward economically and in class by being pious and good. It's a story about economics and female obedience and trading on sexuality as their only way of controlling men. It's a very chilling story. Even in Pretty Woman, the prostitute only makes it because she's been able to make it all along by selling her sexuality. Powerful story. But there's always more to say. 